Well, you know, we are in our second to the last Sunday in this sermon series on Ephesians. And in just two weeks from today, we're going to begin a new sermon series called When People Collide. And together, we're going to be looking at ways that the people of God are called to resolve conflict. And let's face it. That is something that is needed in our world and in our relationships more today than ever before. Amen? And so there is a brand new Bible reading plan. Uh, You can get a paper copy of it out in the Welcome Desk or the Welcome Center if that's what you like to use. You can download it yourself on the church website. Or if you're like me, I kind of like to just use our church app or the church Facebook page uh, in my prayer chair on uh, early in the morning and read the Bible reading plan that way. It's all available for you. Every sermon when you gather on Sunday morning makes a whole lot more sense and is more meaningful if you've been in the word and in the plan. So pick yours up today. Participate with us. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. Well, today's topic from the second half of the fifth chapter of Ephesians is Submission. Wow, I'm really impressed. Not a single one of you got up and headed for the door as fast as you could. Because let's face it, who really wants to hear about submission, right? I mean, our human nature kind of chafes at having to submit to anything other than our own selfish wants and desires, right? I mean, it's part of the fallen nature of humankind. We want our way, not anyone else's way. I mean, submission is just not our default setting. As I said, it's because of the fallen nature of humankind. And when you add into that some of societal's ranks, we don't like to submit even more. You know, there was a captain of a ship who peered out into the darkness and he saw a light on the horizon and he told his signalman to send a message, alter your course 10 degrees south. And he received a prompt reply, alter your course 10 degrees north. Well, that made the captain kind of angry. I mean, his command has been challenged, and so he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. To which he got this immediate reply. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. Well, by now, the captain is about filled with rage. He's incensed, and he sends a third message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. To which he received this reply. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) I don't know. I hope that captain was able to overcome his reluctance and submit because otherwise I have this sinking feeling that there was a rocky ending to that little story. Amen? I know, that was bad. I'm here all week, okay? No. So people naturally don't like to submit to other people. And when we are just little children, we have to start learning how to submit, right? I mean, we have parents that make rules for us, and we have to start learning to follow those rules. But how many of us 
there isn't even one of us in this room that at least at one point in time didn't try and circumvent those rules that our parents had, had made for us. And then we go to school, and there's teachers, and there's principals, and there are other people that start making rules for us, and we have to follow those too. But is there any one of us here today that at one time or another didn't try and break at least one of the rules of our school? I don't know. I did. Maybe you did too. Maybe you got away with it. Maybe you didn't get away with it. But we all try and bend the rules sometimes, don't we? And it never ends. Throughout life, there are rules that we have to learn to submit to. Rules if you join the military that you have to follow. Rules if you go off to college that you have to follow. Rules in the workplace. Rules, rules, rules. And on it goes. Well, we learn to comply in a lot of, if not most, cases. But there is still something inside of each of us as human beings that makes us naturally want to do whatever it is that we want to do. And we chafe at having to submit to authority that is higher than us. But the Apostle Paul has something very different to teach and to say to every Christian believer. He says that every spirit-filled Christian is to be submissive to Christ Jesus. And when you committed your life to Christ, you submitted your life to him and to the control of the Holy Spirit that lives inside each and every believer. This is a really appropriate message for today, I think, Pentecost Sunday, to be reminded that we live by and under the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul also tells us that God has ordained certain spheres of authority in our lives to which we are also to submit. And if we are submissive to Christ and the Holy Spirit, we will also be submissive to these God-ordained authorities. In the passage from Ephesians that we focused on this week in our Bible reading plan, Paul gave us some everyday kind of examples of how we should live our life in submission to Christ and in the relationships with other people. Relationships that are quite commonplace for many, if not most of, or all of us. Things like marriage and family and the workplace. So let's jump in and hear what he has to say in Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is also the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, every one of us today knows that the words of this passage have generated some controversy in the church and even in the culture over the years, haven't they? Some people might even ask if this teaching is relevant in the 21st century. But my friends, the word of God is relevant to our lives. And if we just dismiss these words out of hand, we will miss the power of what Paul wants to teach us as people who follow Jesus. The first thing we have to realize is that everything, everything in this passage hinges on verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. You see, for the Christian, we submit to one another in our relationships because of our, our reverence, our respect, our love for Jesus. And Paul often uses marriage as a metaphor for our relationships with Jesus. And in this case, he's using a commonly understood, the commonly understood marriage customs of the Roman Empire. And then he transforms them for those who have put their faith in Christ. You see, the way things work, or the way they are ordered in a household, is determined by the culture and the time in which you live, right? I mean, if you've ever done any traveling around the world to different countries, to different cultures, you'll know that that's true. Every culture, every, every society has different ways of ordering the family and the workplace and those kinds of things. It was not uncommon in the ancient world for authors to write about household codes of conduct for husbands and wives, for parents and children, for masters and slaves. The Stoic philosopher Heracles detailed duties of gods, city, and household. Other writings of household codes appear in both Greco-Roman and Hellenistic Jewish writings of the day. And Paul would have been familiar with all of those. He would have read those himself. And so he started with what was considered normal in the Roman world. And remember, Paul was writing to Ephesus which was a Roman city in the Roman Empire in the first century. And at that time in history, women had very little freedom, very little power, if any at all. I mean, before women got married, they were property of their fathers. And after they got married, they were property of their husband. And marriage at that time didn't begin with a man and a woman falling in love with each other. They started with both sets of parents, trying to do something that's going to elevate the social status of the family or, or increase the wealth of the family. And most women were not educated at this time except in learning how to do the household tasks that they were going to do for the rest of their lives. And they were laborious and hard work. So when Paul said that wives should submit to their husbands and that the husband was the head of the wife, that wasn't surprising in their culture. In fact, it was an important statement in Roman society because they believed that men were intended by nature to rule as husband and father. 
I mean, to break this hierarchy was seen as dangerous, not only to the household, but also to the whole future of the Roman Empire because the foundation blocks of that society was the household. And so any upsetting of the traditional hierarchical order of the household was a threat to the order of society as a whole. Now, the way Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians is important because the Romans were very tolerant of all different kinds of religion of the people that they conquered that then became a part of the empire. They were tolerant as long as your religion didn't mess with the social order of Roman society. And so at first glance, Paul's words are very much in line with the expectations of a good Roman household where the submission of wives to husbands was the norm and to have disrupted that status quo would have created a lot of problems for the early church but in various writings and places in those writings paul emphasizes equality among all believers in galatians 3 28 he says there is neither jew nor greek slave nor free male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But even still, even there, Paul does not suggest overthrowing the Roman society in order to achieve equality. Instead, he says that every believer should submit in the relationship with others out of reverence for Christ. You see, we submit by choice, wives to husbands and husbands to wives parents to children and children to parents, masters to slaves and slaves to masters. Mutual submission preserves the order and harmony of the family, and it increases love and respect among every family member. If we take a close look at this passage in Ephesians 5, we can see that Paul is really elevating the role of women in the family. And he does so in a way that doesn't upset Roman society. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And again, verse 21 sets the stage for everything in this passage. Followers of Jesus are supposed to submit to one another. It is mutual submission. Now, it's interesting to note that in the original Greek language, which was the language that Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians in, that version makes the focus on, on, on verse 21 even clearer. Because in the original Greek, it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. You see, Paul doesn't even use the word submit that second time, which is the Greek way of showing that verse 22 absolutely is dependent on verse 21. In fact, verse 22 doesn't even make sense without verse 21. You see, we submit in our relationships because of Christ. It's very clear that submission between people is a mutual thing, and the following verses are going to start to explain to us how that mutual submission works. I mean, how would that work in a culture where men were the property owners of women? Well, Paul begins to clarify exactly that as he writes about a husband's role in this act 
of mutual submission. Remember, he wrote, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. You see, Paul raises the bar really high for husbands when he instructs them that they are to love their wives in the same way that Christ loves the church. I mean, that's a big responsibility that Paul is giving to husbands. Love your wives like Jesus loves you. And that's a love without limits, any limits at all. It's a love that serves others. It's a love that is willing to go all the way as far as laying down one's own life for another person. Even when we don't deserve it. Even when we've done nothing to earn it. Even when we stand in need of the utmost forgiveness. Even then, there is Jesus loving us with his everlasting love. You see, Paul shifts the focus away from the human relationships and makes Jesus the central focus of marriage. And keeping Jesus at the very center of your marriage is what sets Christian marriages apart from every other kind of marriage. So you see, the marriage between a man and a woman is meant to be a reflection of Jesus' relationship with the church. And Christian marriage is about serving each other just in the same way that Christ came and served. And it's about serving the world together as both husband and wife. You see, it's mutual give and take. It's giving and receiving. Just like Jesus submitted to the will of God and became a servant of all, we are called to follow the example and serve one another. Wives are to follow their husband's leadership in Christ. And that means that husbands have to be good Christian leaders. They are to be the spiritual leader in the home, setting the example for worship and prayer and giving and serving. Husbands, your wives and your children are going to be looking to you for the example that they will follow. So make your life an example that you want them to see and to follow Love your wife and your children in the same way that Jesus loves you. You see, in a marriage where reciprocal love is the norm, submission is never a problem, is it? It's not a difficult task. Because when we make our husband or our wife's needs and desires our first priority, then we're going to both be giving and receiving the very best that God has intended for our lives. In this full passage, which we haven't read this morning, but which was included in the Bible reading plan, Paul also gives instructions for how parents are to treat their children and vice versa, and how slaves are to treat their masters and vice versa. And so the idea of submitting to others in reverence to Christ goes way beyond just the marital relationship. It really extends to every single relationship that we have in the whole world, in our whole lives. Paul's instructing children to obey their parents would have been quite normal, a quite normal part of the household code of conduct in Paul's time. Even instructing children to follow the fifth of the Ten Commandments, to honor your father and mother, 
would have absolutely been expected to be taught in Jewish Christian households. What would have been surprising is Paul's instruction to fathers not to exasperate their children, but instead to bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. Let's face it. Discipline our, disciplining our children is never fun, is it? I mean, who really likes that? If you do come up, I'll pray with you after the service is over today. <laughs> but, you know, it is needed. We are called to discipline our children, aren't we? Out of love. In fact, Proverbs 3.12 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Paul is calling fathers to love and train up their children just like Jesus loves us. And lastly, Paul has some words for how slaves should treat their masters and how masters should treat their slaves. You have to remember that slavery was very prevalent in the Roman Empire. Historians estimate that there might have been as many as three million slaves throughout the entire empire. And as Paul went around the empire, including Ephesus, preaching the good news of the gospel, lots of people, you heard earlier, 3,000 from one sermon alone, were giving their lives to Christ. Both masters and slaves were becoming Christians. They were becoming a part of one church. And so it became necessary for Paul to give some instruction to the Christians in Ephesus uh, and the whole Roman Empire on how to handle that. Remember, women, children, and slaves had very few, if any, rights in Roman society. But they had these new freedoms in Christ in the church, freedoms that society denied them. So Paul instructs slaves to obey their masters just as they would obey Christ. He tells them to do what is right, whether they're being watched by their master or not. And Paul instructs masters to treat their slaves in the same way. He tells them that Christ is the master of both slaves and earthly masters. And that Christ shows no favoritism to anyone. No one is more important than anyone else. You see, in the early days of Christianity, there weren't really enough Christians to just make a huge impact on society and completely change society's rules. They, Christians were a small minority still. But Paul writes to change Christian relationships between people to reflect our relationship with Jesus, and that slowly began to change the entire world. You see, we can see, also see Paul's handling of masters and slaves in that short little letter that's in the New Testament uh, called the Book of Philemon. In that book, Philemon's slave Onesimus has run away. He's escaped without Philemon's knowledge, and he's made his way all the way to Rome where Paul was in prison. And he became very useful to Paul in prison, but now it's time to send Onesimus back to Philemon. And so Paul writes a letter to Philemon for Onesimus to take back with him, and he says this to Philemon the master. He says, take him back no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother in Christ. Well, today, Christians have to apply Paul's teachings in the workplace. We have to be people that work with integrity 
and Christian principles in the workplace. We have to be people who can be trusted whether or not our boss is watching us or not. And as employers, we have to treat our employees fairly and with respect as people, not as machines. And we have to remember that no matter what our job is, our ultimate boss is Jesus himself. And so we work to please Jesus in everything we do in the workplace. You see, we're talking about putting others before ourselves out of the deep love for other people. What we're talking about really here is the second half of the gospel, isn't it? Loving God and loving people. It's that place where our love for God is so profound that it compels us. No, it propels us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Paul teaches mutual submission in biblical relationships in which we lay aside our rights and humbly serve each other out of love. Husbands and wives mutually serve each other in love. Parents and children mutually serve each other in love. Slaves and masters, employers, employees mutually serve each other in love. Remember, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul puts this another way in Philippians 2, where he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, think of others higher than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You see, when we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ, it is then that we are able to submit ourselves to others. And when we submit ourselves to others, following the example that Jesus set for us, then we build a church of unity, a church that is built on Christ Jesus. You see, our attitude is to be the same as Christ's. He humbled himself. He submitted to God's will. He died for you and for me, the very worst kind of death there is, even death on a cross. But now God has given him the highest honor and the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you have never confessed that Jesus is your Lord and submitted your life to him, my friend, now is the time we must first and foremost bow before Jesus as our Lord. And then, submitting our lives to Jesus will enable us to submit our lives to others, thereby building unity in the church and, I dare say, in the whole world. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we submit our lives to you Come and fill us with the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit so that we can submit to each other in our marriages, in our parent-child relationships, with the people we work with, indeed with the whole world. 
Lord, build your church in unity and love, making it a shining example of the world, drawing all people to yourself. Until that day when every tongue does confess, Jesus is Lord and brings glory and honor and praise to God the Father. And all God's people said, Amen.